Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, everybody. Even after two and a half years of creating this podcast, telling stories and carving content out of my weekly instincts, inspirations, intuitions, and musings, I still don't quite know how to approach it when we are continuously hit with really hard and complex terrible things, shootings, climate devastation, racial and social injustice, systems and democracy crumbling, freedoms dissolving, and things seemingly only getting more treacherous. I want this podcast to be a place of refuge and a place of healing and permission to find a few moments of peace, a respite from fear, But I also want this podcast to be a place of awakeness and the allowance of sacred rage and discussions of justice and a place that can hold the enormity and the complexity of of all of life. And to be honest, I have been feeling afraid lately And there are a few things that I've discovered have helped curb that a little, Um, but they're (laughs) they're not all rolled into a nice little package of one theme. So I thought I would just talk to you this morning um, from my heart, almost like from a free thinking space, like little tapas plates of things that will help that aren't bundled into one theme. Um, In the moments of disorientation and fear, like when something acute happens, for example, uh, last week on the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned and I felt very afraid, as I know many of you did, afraid for many reasons, I have learned that social media is not a great place for me to spin around in. It's not the first place that I need to go. Um... It can at times give a sense of community, um, a a sense of me feeling like I'm finding my choir, um, camaraderie of banding together to grieve collectively and to rage and to feel the injustice of it all. Um, That can be present, but I've learned in some strange way that it also kind of isolates me from my own feelings and I get swept up in in the, the clever memes that dismantle the, the patriarchy. And um, I get swept up in sort of the, the surge that happens. And that's not all bad, but it feels a little bit like a sugar rush that has an after crash. These things that are happening to our planet and to people of color, to women, uh, these things that are being uncovered and exposed, they have a deep collective impact and a collective pain. 
And they also have individual impact and individual pain. And I think that we need to find out how we feel in our own bodies before being hurled into the collective conversation. Because if we can take a minute, then our response can be more profound. Our response can be more potent if there's a little bit of soak time. Because then we have stopped to put our own hand on our belly and to feel the blood pulse to absorb the news and the story without the adrenaline and the noise of social media. And I I beg you to try this. When something comes across the sky, something that's big and potentially shattering, inform yourself of the events and the facts and get really clear about what is true. And then turn off social media for at least the remainder of the day and maybe the day afterwards. Meditate, sit with it, write about it, feel it in your bones. Call your best friend, talk about it in person with someone on your front porch, take some deep breaths into it and decide consciously how you will take action. How to create conscious conversation is not... um, best fueled by just empty rushes of digging around for memes and sort of that intensity swirl I've discovered. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think that creating community in even online community is essential. But there have been times that I have mistaken scrolling and watching social media, binging on it during high stress times and high profile times. And I have misunderstood it, mistaken it for being productive and being on the front lines of an issue. Social media is not the front lines of an issue. The voting lines are going straight into your local community and talking to people and helping people boots on the ground. That's the front lines of being a part of something. And I know now That when something happens, if I turn to the frenetic surge of social media, it robs me of the essential quiet that I need to digest and process what it means to me first, before I begin, so that I can consciously turn my attention to walking the walk and doing the work, the work of teaching my children about their privilege and about how deeply flawed our systems are about how our systems are whitewashed and built on stolen land, and about how the lens presented in the media is so rarely the truth. And in the midst of that work, there's something else, something that's helped me lately and helped <laughs> helped for all of time. It's always there even when we forget about it. And that's to remember the strange ways we get to what we've been looking for all along. Kismet, which of course means destiny or fate. Magic, it also, I think, means magic. So it's like a, the winding path. Um, I got a call from E this morning, who if you've listened to this podcast, you know her. I've told a lot of stories about her. And she said, I just have to tell you a story of kismet and how it involved you. She was talking to a friend and explaining that she hasn't danced in a long time um, because of injury and because of trying to recover from hip surgery. 
And she was telling her friend how she was longing for that. And her friend, who we call Mama Katie, said, you hold so many stories of grief for other people. And E said, when I dance, it's also a way that I can grieve. So that part, too, has been on on hold since I haven't been able to dance. And so after a few minutes of talking with Mama Katie and realizing that she was missing dance very dearly, um, and she was also missing the opportunity to rinse out her grief, she turned to do something that she does every year. She Googled my brother Benjamin to read his obituary. Every year she does this. She never knew him. But she met him a couple of months after he died. She met me a couple of months after he died um, when I was at my most raw. And and she was my friend. And her dog literally licked my tears off my face that whole fall. And clicking on his obituary the other day led her down the path to find a story that I published a few years ago about that time period in my life. And the story was called The Understory, which is what springs from the old and the dead. The understory is the tiny new growth on the base of the forest floor. And buried deep inside the story that I wrote about Benjamin, there's just one or two lines about the comfort I felt returning to spreading my bare feet into the wood floor for the first time, my first dance class back after he died. And I was talking about my soft pants and the the way that felt on the floor and the familiar rituals that never leave a dancer, no matter how far away she gets from performing. And so Erica called me to say that following the trail, the the breadcrumbs, reading something in a new way, because she'd read the story before, but she didn't notice that part. So reading it in a new way ended up giving her a small dose of magic, a small little something that she had forgotten about herself. So Benjamin, finding Benjamin that morning led her to the unlikely gift of remembering, remembering her body as a dancer. And I was folding laundry and corralling my kids when she called to tell me about this. And the small story of magic also changed my day and transported me out of the chop wood and carry water part of the morning that I was in. And so what I want to say is no matter how treacherous things feel, there is always the possibility of a treasure hunt, a kismet opportunity. Have you ever run your fingers along the bookshelf in your home, randomly picked out a book with your eyes closed, and opened up to a page at random and read a line, a line that's perfect in this day, in this moment, a line that was a new way of seeing out your window that just sort of took you back home, a line that floated you out of the laundry for a little while. Just a little exercise to try um, is to pluck a book and pluck a passage and see what it, what it has in store for you. Um, Another thing that has helped me lately is allowing things to cook a while without messing with them. I was watching this show. (laughs) 
Um, it's called Candy. And if you like thrillers, it's really good. It's based on a true story about a suburban housewife who murdered someone. And the story is really dark and unsettling. But but anyway, I like shows like that. Um, it's got Jessica Biel and Justin, Justin Timberlake. Her husband's in it, too. But so in one of the episodes, the husbands of these two women, the, the two main women in this story, were outside, and one of the men was grilling burgers. And he kept flipping them over several times and pressing down on them with the spatula. And the other man said to him, you're overworking your beef. You should only flip it once and then let it be. And that part in the show metaphorically has stuck with me. I'm not a big burger person, but when I'm cooking quinoa burgers or pancakes or anything like that that you have to flip, I tend to overwork it and not trust the cook time. I don't trust it to cook thoroughly on one side and then flip it. So I end up flipping it over and over and over. And sometimes it falls apart from having been overworked. And so of course, my brain, which works in metaphors all the time, I thought about what this means in my life, specifically artistically. If I could let things just cook a while and trust that something is happening without me having to do anything, then the right opportunities will arrive to, in other words, to not be an overfixer, to learn to give things more air and more light and to allow solutions to arise in due time. It's, it's kind of like not needing to fill the silence with talking, to let there just be silence and to allow something to arise if it comes up rather than overworking the space and thinking that that's the most productive thing to do. A few weeks ago, Otis was at a garden camp that incorporated photography, and the kids would take pictures of things on the farm and flowers and plants, and then they would do artistic things with those pictures. And every day they came home super muddy and tired and happy, and we allowed Otis to carry a digital camera that Matt had, Um, and it wasn't super expensive, and it was small and portable, And we talked to him about taking good care of it and how he should loop it around his wrist and try not to drop it. Well, he ended up dropping it several times, but it seemed to be okay. And and the camp was spectacular. Every day he came home intensely interested in nature and photography, and it was all going really well. And Wednesday night, um, before we put the kids to bed, we were, our family was taking a walk outside And Otis asked if he could take his camera to take pictures of things along the way. And I said, sure. Um, But I reminded him again not to drop it because we're going to be walking on concrete. Well, we got about a block away from the house, and he was so excited to find a ladybug to take pictures of. And Matt and Coretta walked on ahead, and I stayed behind with Otis, letting him capture the bug from different angles. And he jumped up, ready for another adventure and the camera flew out of his hands and crashed onto the concrete and this time it did not turn back on and he sobbed and sobbed and he was so devastated and defeated and I wanted to cry too because he'd been so sparked um, and was enjoying taking pictures so much and my first instinct was to flip the burger I started to think about how I could fix it, um, 
how I could get another used camera and make it better. So I started to overwork the situation instead of allowing a lesson and a little bit of space. I knew he was sorry and it had been a mistake and carelessness, but I also knew that there was great, profound learning in waiting and letting there be a loss that he could feel, letting there be a time for the rest of the week and even beyond that he ached for the camera. And I knew if I didn't let that happen and let that take its natural course, that I was doing him a great injustice. And he would never truly understand the importance of care and value and consequence. And so I waited and I hugged him and I told him I was sorry and he cried off and on for several days and that was really hard. So now, currently, one of the things I'm really working on is I'm trying not to rush things, rush to solve things. Because some things need time to integrate. And in this case, I've come to realize that I can block someone else's learning if I overwork things. So how do I know it's not burning underneath? I don't. I don't know. And that's the trust piece is the work of allowance. But I think the practice gets easier, easier to trust the more you do it, the more you kind of anticipate what the burger is going to do and how long it takes. And that 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 part is important without you being in charge of it. You know, I was thinking too. another way this burger metaphor works so beautifully is boundaries. Like when you set a boundary And it's the kind that feels really hard to set, like with family or something like that. And it nearly steals your breath and it pounds your heart in order to do it. But you finally have the courage to say it. And then as soon as you do, you feel bad and you don't want to hurt their feelings. So you go back and you stroke it and you smooth it and you flip it over and over until the original boundary that you had set is overworked and watered down and it doesn't even really exist anymore. Once you set something down clearly, close the grill, go inside, wash your hands and sit down and give it time to cook and solidify before running in circles and diluting your power. So the learning and the lesson, just like Otis in the camera, is not blocked than by your scurrying around to fix something that doesn't need to be fixed. And relationships and fights and artistic endeavors and things that you're building, collaborations and chapters and books that you're writing and all those things that have potential to be overworked and not allowed to have air and light, if you squish the oxygen out of them with your spatula, then how will you know what they could have been? And this all circles back to trust, to following with a light hand, like you are tracing a map without pressing down too hard, and feeling where you should go next, because the future is unknown. And I believe that we are in the middle of some of the most challenging political times 
We are in the middle of some terrifying things. And these times historically have always been times that have produced the most exquisite art, the richest writings, the biggest learning, and the most heartening change, both individually and collectively. So I encourage you to take some time with your treasure maps. If someone pops into your mind, call them. There may be a reason that they floated into your consciousness. Spend some time writing, noticing, giving space and oxygen where before you would have put down words. Give space. Let people around you claim their lessons even when they feel heartbreaking because the ways that they mend will make them great artists. Great people, great artists, people who make marks that live and last are people who have been through something. I guess to, I want to say one more thing. Remember what makes you, you. Even when you are afraid or feeling old or forgotten or obsolete or no longer relevant. For me, it's sometimes as simple as bare feet and a wood floor and soft pants. For you, I know it's different. But there are parts of you that have been put away And when you bring those little things out, they can restore your faith in humanity and in the meaning and purpose of your life. So something that simple can transport you out of fear and straight into belonging. I opened a book after closing my eyes and pulling out a passage. And here's what I want to leave you with. I have little doubt that this will mean something to at least one of you and may have ripples that I'll never know. So this is from Maggie Smith and her book, Keep Keep Moving. Don't be ashamed of the intensity of your emotion. That's your humanity. Grief can be feral, wild, frightening. Give it a safe place to live. Thanks, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. If you would like to become a patron of this this podcast, I would so appreciate it. If you are enjoying it, please consider doing this. The information is in the show notes, and you can join our beautiful and growing community. Thanks so much. <music>